Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine St. Clair. All aboard! Welcome to a new episode of Crazy Train with me, Jasmine St. Clair. If you are enjoying the podcast, hop over to my official YouTube page and subscribe. I also have memberships starting up very soon where you could actually join in live chats, you know, watch live streams and so forth. So it's Crazy Train Podcast on YouTube. And if you like listening to this during your drive time to and from work or at the gym, make sure to rate and review on Apple iTunes, um, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So this week's guest, I decided to add another XPW Wrestling-sponsored band, The Dwarfs. They're pretty old school. They're a huge Gigi Allen fans. So of course, you know, it's perfect to be an XPW-sponsored band. Um, I had a really good long talk with Black and He's also like, he's a writer as well. Super talented, very creative. I'm excited to um, watch this interview because I had a lot of fun doing it. And most importantly, I'm excited to catch them on tour this summer. So make sure to, uh, you know, check them out as well on the dwarves.com. In the meantime, enjoy the interview. So from the Midwest to San Francisco, is that where you started? Yeah, well- The dwarves? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we started the Dwarves uh, in Illinois there, and then we uh, uh, decided to move to California. I wanted to go to L.A., but um, Salt Peter, who was my buddy who played bass, he wanted to um, go to school. And uh, so he said, well, let's go to San Francisco. I said, sure, it's close enough to L.A. We we can do that. And uh, it turned out good, I think, because, you know, when you go to L.A., they kind of get sick of you there quick, you know. But if you can kind of hit and run, I've been hitting and running it for for 30 some odd years now, right? The band, the Dwarves are actually getting pretty close to 40 now. We moved to San Francisco in 86 and we became the Dwarves in 85. So, yeah, that's right. I guess we're 38 years in, but still really one of the best looking bands. I think so. I think you're definitely one of the most... Um... Oh, how can I put it? Uh, a more controversial type of band. I mean, in this day and age, we have all this like cancel culture and shit. So like in the wrestling show last week, this guy, uh, he got a, a, a thing in his foreskin and his dick, like his dick was bleeding. And a lot of people are freaking out. Now, Museum of Death in Hollywood, they have a whole G.G. Allen section, right? <laughs> and now you're linked in with XPW Wrestling, which is a very bloody company. What's the craziest self-mutilation you guys have had on stage? Like, what's the craziest act you've done? You know, when I was younger, I was more into self-mutilation. Now I'm just trying to stay alive, you know, and not get hurt is kind of kind of thing, you know. But with the dwarves, like, shit would just always jump off. You know, I think it was a combination of, like, very provocative lyrics that sort of called for sex and violence. And also this kind of image that looked like that's what we were all about. But then at the same time, you know, man, we were never a metal band. We were always a punk band, meaning we didn't have some big crew behind us to fight our fucking battles. And we didn't have some big record deal to pay our bills. And we didn't have a big bus to jack off in. I mean, we were just punk rock. We fucking showed up. 
So when we were getting shit, it was like, oh, what do we do now? You know, <laughs> half the time we just get our asses kicked or get knocked out of the building or get thrown somewhere. I mean, it was never we were never really able to follow up on the on the extreme, you know, uh, uh, you know, the build up, you know, the way like other groups had their guys they were paying to fight for them and stuff. You know, we're we're a punk band. You know, we're fucking the real thing. If you come after us, we're going to go after you. But, you know, it's all pretty disorganized and pretty ridiculous. And, you know, all kinds of shit has happened. I mean, I got stabbed um, on stage in, in uh, <clears throat> uh, I think it was maybe London, Ontario, uh, Canada, you know, a long time ago. It was This guy was kind of holding the beer and giving me the finger, one of those, like sit there and drink your beer and <laughs> give me the finger. And after a while, I got sick of it. So I just he's out with my mic and next thing you know this guy's got a shattered bottle in his hand and he's screaming in pain so then he rushes up and and you know rakes it and i mean it just barely missed my 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 jugular vein you know so it was very shit like that or just you know club owners trying not to pay us and holding the gun on me that happened in rochester or it happened in, you know it was like just just crazy shit like that you know and just like general fights that would break out when we to us, we were just trying to have fun and kind of be wild and have something crazy happen. Like we never, we weren't like, let's go and start a fight. You know, like that was never sort of what the dwarves were like. So people were always kind of surprised when they actually met us or hung out with us. And it was very much just like, you know, we're like art guys, music guys, you know, we're not like, <laughs> you know, but, but I was always really amused by that image and that whole thing. And then, you know, once you're in it, you can't like pussy out of it. You got to do it, you know? So we would wind up, in all these crazy situations you know yeah i mean it's punk that's punk rock as they say yeah i mean that it's, was it's how i was raised in it you know like you didn't bring your mommy to the show and it wasn't a bunch of fucking friendly ass bullshit you know it was very uh it was it was very uh you know <laughs> you had to you had to bring your testes with you yeah, I hope they didn't get cut off or any. Yeah, I, I used to go to CBGB as a kid to the matinee shows. So I grew up around like mosh pits, slam dancing. I actually fell when I was crowd surfing at an, uh, it was a testament and overkill. But they caught you back then. I don't think right. they even crowd surf these days, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot Yay. of places have insurance problems with it. Oh, and God. then there was a whole vibe for a while that was like, hey, you're making people in here nervous. You know, put your shirt on, don't jump into things. You know, I mean, I have mixed feelings about it because I want everybody to go to the show and I don't want women to feel like they can't go. And I don't want some asshole just walking around bullying everybody in the pit. But at the same time, it's like I didn't come here to make rules. You know, it's like I just want people to have fun and do what they're doing. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned CBGBs. We yeah. uh, we played there in 1988 and got banned um, you know, they had tables there and I came out, I was all on acid and within about three songs, I mean, it might've been four or five minutes in, I just jumped head first into this table, couple freaked out, drinks went everywhere. I was laughing, you know, and they just cut the power and said, fuck you. We were supposed to play there again, like 30 years later before they closed, but they're like, oh, wait, we got your name on the fuck you list. You can't play here. So it was kind oh, of- they actually had a list like that? Yeah, they had a list and they kept it forever. And I was like, really? You guys are going to remember 30 years ago? Like, there's no statute of limitations in rock, you know? So when they closed, I was kind of happy. I was like, well, fuck you guys then, you know? <laughs> I, I survived and you didn't, you know? So yeah, I love the Ramones too, but fuck you, you know, you, you banned me. It's like, it's that too, but then they sold out. Like I see this, 
this hipster wearing like a CBGB shirt. I'm like, name one fucking band that played there. <laughs> or like, better yet, when you see them with like an Iron Maiden shirt, name one album. Name the very first singer of Iron right. Maiden. Name the second, <laughs> name the third. And like, then name every member change, like lineup change. And they can't do it. Or maybe it's just like, some of us pay too much attention, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also, you got to be careful because like I've gotten a lot older you know, when I was younger, I was more about that shit. But now that I'm older, it's like, well, I don't want to come off like your dad telling you what you need to know. It's like, hey, fuck you. Okay, if you don't get it, then you don't get it. That's fine. You know, he's just you, not you, cool. So like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> how did the band actually form? Like, how did you find yourselves to form a band? We started in high school. You know, I played my first show at CB or CBGBs. I played my first show at uh, the Cubby Bear Lounge in Chicago. Nineteen. Uh, Excuse me. What is it called? the cubby bear lounge it's is that a gay there. bar no it was okay. like, it was like a what? Cubs sports bar they call it the cubby bear because it was right next to wrigley field and uh but in the 80s they started doing shows there before people really knew what was up um it's still there to this day i haven't played there in a long time but um you know yeah so if my first show i was 16 in a over 21 club playing you know, uh, so we've been doing it a long time. You know, we were called Suburban Nightmare back then. We were just a bunch of suburban kids and we were like, fuck it. And, you know, again, as soon as we went downtown, all the downtown Chicago guys were trying to get in fights with us or they didn't like. We had, you know, we had like 60s gear on and that wasn't cool because it was punk rock. And then like we had hot girlfriends and they didn't like that because they had a bunch of fucking ugly babes with fucked up hair or whatever you know so like everything was like it was always a battle always a fight with, with the dwarves and and at a certain point we realized like well even though we like like 60s garage bands and rockabilly and all that stuff like we are a punk band because all we ever do is get in trouble and get in fights and all this shit so okay you know it'll just be this you know and and so we kind of started more musical and then we kind of devolved and became more thrash and straightforward and then as the years went on we sort of became musical again you know i fell in with a really good producer a guy named eric valentine and you know now i work with a guy named andy carpenter and both of them were just amazing kind of pop producer guys and i thought well wouldn't it be interesting to kind of tie that punk nasty mentality of the dwarves with some real musicianship and some real production and see what we can do you know because we made our really trashy early records I don't know. Can you guys can you guys show album covers on here? Yeah, can you, you can do anything can you, you want. You can curse, but like even dirty stuff, huh? Yeah. Well, like because this, you might have to bleep this, but this. Oh, was, I won't know, have to bleep it, please. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, this was Blood Guts and Pussy, which came out in nineteen ninety. That's and, pretty hot. Yeah, I mean, like we it's very nineties. <laughs> Yeah. And we always went for like rad girls on our on our records and stuff. And we were pushing a lot of sex and violence and, and everything. So, you know, uh, some people got the joke, some people didn't. But, you know, we we um, you know, we had a lot of fun with it and, <laughs> and nobody would have believed we'd still be here now, you know, with all the clubs we got thrown out of and all the festivals we weren't allowed to play and all the radio stations that wouldn't play us, you know. I mean, that was kind of, uh, but it was hard, you know, it was tough. You know, a lot of times you'd just be broke and you couldn't get a show or, you know, no, nobody loved you or or you did well there, but the people were still like, uh, but you guys got a reputation or whatever it was. So, you know. But you want the person with the reputation. I mean, my past, a few guests of mine have been like heavily canceled in the wrestling world. They even have documentaries on them and I don't give a fuck. I'm going to, if you've been, <laughs> I don't care. I like hearing everything 
Um, I don't like victimology and there's too much of that going on because that plays into cancel culture. But I, you want the people that are in trouble. You want the people blacklisted from like wherever, Slovenia, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> Where are you banned from? Like London? Well, you can cancel culture works a lot of different ways. The main way yeah. it works in music is that people just don't put it out there. They know that people would flip out if they did, if they said what was actually in their mind or if they wrote the song that's actually in their heart. So people start in music with self-censorship. They just start with, ooh, I better tone this down. And so that's kind of the worst kind of cancel culture when you're canceling yourself. And then comes the next phase of it where it's like, you know, like I had to witness a lot of stuff. Like I remember when Marilyn Manson first came on the scene and I was very friendly with the, uh, the woman who did his publicity at Interscope. And she invited me out to see them and I watched it and it was like, wow, you know, this guy's like recreating the Nuremberg trials here. And, and it's like this huge thing, but yet because there was corporate backing, he was allowed to be very nasty and hint at sex and talk about the devil and, and have all these different elements. When you're more of a low budget band and people don't perceive it as like, Ooh, there's a corporate structure behind this. It's much harder than to to really get out there and say, no, fuck everybody. I'm saying what I want to say. I'm doing this, right? Because people people jump on bandwagons in, in different ways. If you have the corporate stuff behind you, if you have the money behind you, it's paradoxically easier to be nastier, have more blood, have more sex, have more wild shit. When, when, when you're like us and it was really like, whoa, man, you're hanging on to your record deal by a thread. Oh, now you've been dropped. You know, oh, we played you once on the radio, but we'll never play you again. Oh, we let you play here once, but we're never going to let you do it again. So you'd get, you know, it's like I've been I've been getting canceled since the 80s, you know. So so people talk to me about the modern cancel culture. And I'm like, hey, welcome to my world. You know, I mean, I'm I still say whatever I want. I still write whatever I want. I make my own records. I put out my own books you know, and, and I write fiction, dirty fiction about nasty women and the shit they do. Like everything for me is like, I never censor myself. And I just think that's the basis of it. And, but people fall for a lot of image stuff. So when you come out and you create this image, people don't see, oh, there's an actual person behind that. And maybe the person is different. They just see it as like, well, fuck you. You know, you're you're a misogynist or you're a, a you're, a, you know, fill in the word here. You know, we people, you know, so I think that's kind of what you mean by cancel culture. But it's sort of a, a new phenomenon for a lot of people, but not for me. <laughs> I've been getting fucked by this since day one, since I was in high school, always been the same. So I, I just roll with it and I figure artists make art, you know, and pussies have to, you know, cry about it. Well, like Machine Gun Kelly, like I. I saw like a photo of this guy, Machine Gun Kelly, MGK. So I have this whole thing. So you have people like Suge Knight that created this whole gangster rap fantasy for these white suburban kids, you know, that think it's so glamorous and everything, like really fucking crackish assholes like him, like MGK, who's like a shaved bird. Then you have like Suge Knight, who's living the reality of these things, like uh, health issues, <laughs> violence, jail, murders, you know, and they don't right. get it. So it just seeing that like just irks me. This is why I like when you have bands that have been around for a long time, such as yourselves, like out there doing the actual thing, you know, which brings me to the Go-Go's, which is very weird. So they lived in a punk rock building in like the 80s, 90s era. 
Well, and, sure. Uh, they were buddies with the germs and all those bands. Yeah, I love them. They were so like, that's one of my favorite bands to this day. Cause they're like oh, yeah. a combination of everything. So, um, yeah, it's just weird how you have these cute little high school girls. Some of them were in high school in this building with like these filthy punk rockers, which is amazing. Um, now, getting back to the self-mutilation, because obviously I'm intrigued by it. <laughs> uh, have you ever, so what Speaking do you say? self-mutilation, here is comes Is that a cat or a dog? This is my buddy, Rollo. Hi, Rollo. Look at Rollo. Hi. He's a pretty cute guy. I have a black, I know a black one, but he sleeps all the time. Um, if I'm not playing with him, your boyfriend, so, you're talking about? No, my cat. No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, but self mutilation. So that's something like you had Alice Cooper doing all kinds of weird shows. I don't think he did mutilation. Was it maybe the sex pill stills or like what gave you guys even the idea to do stuff like that? Well, G I mean, Gigi Allen was a big influence yeah. on, uh, on us we got his cassette hated in the nation and i just thought he had a bunch of great uh very uh uh catchy songs so i kind of heard it that way then of course you know you look into the guy more and it's like whoa this guy really like you know will take x lax and shit all over himself during a show or he'll cut himself with with knives and shit so by the time i i sort of got hip to him he was locked up in prison in in michigan so the band was touring through there and we stopped to see him. This must have been like 87 or 88. Maybe, yeah, 88. I, I can't remember the exact year. But, uh, you know, we went to visit him in jail and he was, you know, had his head shaved in patches so people would think he had AIDS. I mean, it was like the real deal. He was a really, had been responsible for a lot of really strange things. And there he was in a maximum security prison, you know. Um but very early on, I knew that that was not me. I mean, it's fun to trifle with that stuff and look around in it, but I don't want to sit in a cell and I don't want to, you know, be in a battle with anybody. And I, I, I felt like I was probably a little better at making music or writing songs and maybe I'd try and move forward that way. But at the same time, you know, I, I really admired that he was real deal punk rock and you know, he was similar to us in the sense of, you know, not really getting along with labels or agents or lawyers or managers or people that were supposed to look out for you. I mean, it's funny because with a lot of the early punk bands, you know, they were living pretty hard, but they also were real good with their management and their shit and their record deals, you know. I mean, they were like L.A. people, you know, and L.A. people know how to navigate kind of the music industry and the entertainment industry you know we were from illinois we just had no conception about it i never thought about having managers i never thought about having a lawyer look at your deal i never i just didn't think about it and you know i really separated that from the sort of smart part of me you know the smart part of me like to read books and think about interesting things and talk about art and whatever but then the dumb part of me played rock and roll and i just wasn't interested in anything else but, you know, you get a little older and you realize, wow, some asshole owns my record and he's not putting it out anymore and he's not paying me anything and I'm just stuck. And you realize, oh, shit, the contracts actually make a difference and the business actually makes a difference. And it can make it can be the difference between people seeing your art or not seeing it, you know. So, um, you know, the good news is we went back, got a hold of our legacy and got all our records back, you know, and so we got all our old records back and I've been making my own records for 25 years or so. So I, I always had those and, 
you know, so now I just feel like, you know, I can hang out with my friends, make a great record, play a great show. And we don't really have to answer to anybody about anything. And unlike my friends that got the big record deals in the 80s and the 90s and sort of, you know, it's like people that peaked in high school. You know, now they just sit around drinking all day. They're bummed. You know, where's where's my manager? Where's my roadie? And of course, those people are long since gone, you know, but in my life, it's like, oh, cool. OK, we bought some T-shirts. We sold them. We made some money. We made a cool record. We sold some. We made some money. It's OK. You know, like there is no that whole side of it that's very corporate and needs constant attention and stroking is not there you know yeah it's gone after a while they check out it's yeah it's funny it's like the cool kids in high school and like now when you look at them they're not even like cute or anything it's right. weird like this girl who was really not she was she's very pretty in high school but she was a totally horrible person then like i get this friend request i'm like who the hell is this sloth like do i know you <laughs> then i realized oh okay that's really sad <laughs> You know, and and I have to I have to say this too because you said that you did metal, and of course, you know the 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 genres are very amorphous. There's musical stuff I love in metal, and and then stuff in punk rock I always hated. You know, but at the end of the day, in a, in broad strokes, the difference between punk bands and metal bands is that metal bands always acted like a bunch of English guys trying to get their crew to do everything trying to you know arrange it in the contract so the opening band has to be 20 db quieter comparing dick sizes through their fucking gear and their bus and all their bullshit and that's why it's just if you're in a metal band just fucking slit your wrists and go fuck yourself <laughs> because you, you got you guys have been pushing that bullshit forever it's stupid it was always stupid it's stupid now i don't give a fuck about it you know and punk rock, the way punk rock got weird was all the PC bullshit and all the cancel stuff and all of the, you're not allowed to play here and you said something that you shouldn't have said to this person or whatever. That was where punk rock really lost it. And so I would say to everybody going in and making a punk band, you know, don't be a fucking pussy, you know? Like, it would just be great if bands could sort of combine the two and have the heavy metal thing of sex and drugs and rock and roll and having fun and making money with the punk rock thing of, like, not being an asshole to everybody that opens for you and not, you know, being so proud of your fucking gear and your crew and all your pussy shit, you know? It's like, if those bands could, if those two genres would just get together on the cool part of it, it would be cool, you know? And there's examples of it. There's great... Oh, yeah. We, last year, we played with Municipal Waste, just like oh, really? a metal band without all the bullshit in it. They're yeah. just fun and cool, and they don't need all the crap. And we, and we play with Pig Destroyer, my, my favorite grind band, and they're the same kind of thing. It's like there is no metal bullshit with those guys, you know, and they, they just fucking are, are doing something, and it's cool. And they understand how the dwarves tie into that. You know, well, I know the like, Municipal Waste guys. I know them. They were on my show before. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, it's like that's like the metal, like the thrash metal, cool. extreme metal, like the Suffocations, um, you know, the Exodus, uh, not the really glammy like '80s stuff. I went to this tour. It was uh, Power to the People. It was Poison, Cinderella, and Dawkins in a fucking stadium. My God, half the people had like balding mullets there. Then on top of that, the <laughs> the thing isn't even like a quarter full. It's like this is not 1987 or '88. <laughs> it's 2000 whatever 90 it's 2000 2001 it was yeah really i had the long disturbing. hair it was good it was good for getting laid back then but it was like once it turned gray i thought i looked like a vietnam vet you know so i just i just shaved it into my count chocula hairdo but did that you was... have a mullet mullet no never went okay. mullet 
It's like Sadetta's child abuse when you see a kid with a mullet sometimes. <laughs> it really is. Um, now, yeah, I mean, obviously you've done well for yourself with this. Like you've stuck with it, but you write as well. So who are some of your favorite authors? Like is Hunter S. Thompson on that list? Yeah, I like Thompson a lot. Um, you know, I thought he kind of innovated a whole thing with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail. It was really a different way of writing politics and a different way of writing sports and sort of a different holistic way of thinking about these subjects. So, yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely a, a fan of his and, you know, all, all all kinds of people. I mean, I I like novels. Here's the, here's the book I just wrote. It's called Highland Falls. Uh, but, you know, my books are very dirty. This was the old one, Nina. I like you know, the I cover on that, Nina. Yeah, they're both they're both really cool books. This one, the cover was done by a an Italian artist named Zoe Lachey, who I think did a really great job. Yeah. And this one was Niagara from Detroit, uh, who's who's really quite good, too. And and uh, that's the thing. Like, I, I just um you know, I try and keep my hand in the creative stuff and not get too caught up in the rest of it because, because it's so silly, you know? Um, but sometimes you can't help it. You know, you just get, you, you just get pulled in, you know, by, by circumstances. Now, what got you into writing dirty novels? Would you grow up with penthouse or something like that? Cause I mean, <laughs> I never read an issue of it, but I heard that. Yeah, there I, I found the letters. penthouse stories more titillating than the pictures. I'm just that kind of person. Like I'm not a very visual person. So I like the, I like stories and, you know, most guys from bands, when they go to write their book, it's like the history of their band. And they tell you when, when they were on dope and they tell you when they got to meet Tom Petty and they tell you whatever their fucking story. And then I, I, you know, my rock and roll life has been a lot different than that. And, and, you know, I was just basically looking to smoke a little herb, get some pussy, you know, I wasn't like, I, I don't have one of those stories that's like we we slammed dope with Motley Crue and fell down the stairs and then we went out in Madison Square Garden, you know, like that. I just don't have any of that. So I so I just thought, well, I'm going to write about what interests me, you know, which is like the the cute girls I knew in high school in Illinois that were really mean and weird, you know. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll write about that, you know, like it. And you know, it, again, like you pay the penalty for that. Like most 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 people who are fans of the band want to just read about the band, you know. Like, well, no, this is different, you know. So it it's always, you know. I mean, someday I hope to kind of write the history of it in some way, but I want it to be interesting and fun. I don't want it to be that standard fucking narrative, you know. Like I think Motley Crue really wrote a great book. I thought their book, The Dirt, was really a brilliant book. And there was one section in particular that was great because they have all the decadence. Like we played at Madison Square Garden, we sh shot dope, we fell down the stairs. They have all that and you get those stories, which are really fun. But then they also kind of talk about the randomness of the music industry in a way that, again, almost no heavy metal bands are ever honest about. Their take on it is we're so good and that's why we have all this money and we win, you know. And when you read Motley Cruz, they're like, no, you know, it's basically like a big machine. And the machine doesn't give a shit about you. And the machine keeps getting, uh, you know, you're you're on a sort of cog and it goes around and then the cog gets smaller and smaller. You know, so the first cog is just everybody that plays on the Sunset Strip. And then the second cog is like everybody that managed to make a record. And then the third cog is like everybody that actually made it for a tour. And then, you know, it goes around and around. And then they describe finding themselves on the same cog with like Annie Lennox and Madonna and all the people who'd sold millions of copies. And they were just like always 
understood that it was random, that they were there through random chance. Doesn't mean their band wasn't good, but there's a lot of good bands. And, and the people who get big and make a lot of money is generally some combination of nepotism and luck. You know, so it's just kind of like, okay, you know, like the fact that Motley Crue was able to admit that instead of being like, we're just so brilliant. That's why we're here. You know, it was like, good. You know, they, uh, you know, so, so certain rock books I find really interesting and I'll read them. But I think for the most part, they're kind of self-serving. You know, people write it because they just want to settle their old scores and tell a couple lies that then they can say are truth. And, you know, I mean, it's just all that kind of shit. I was like, well, I'd just rather write about sex. You know, I'd rather write about getting fucked up and having fun, you know, and I, I can let people wonder about what actually happened, you know? Yeah. Then they could live vicariously through you because I'm sure you wouldn't hear these stories in like modern day from any band for that matter. <laughs> right. At least not these <laughs> pop bands because seriously, I question some of this shit. Um, so where is, uh, did you, did you travel Europe? You played Europe, right? Oh yeah. We've been to Europe. Where'd you like the most? It's yeah. Which was one of your favorite places to play? Oh, you know, we're always kind of a big city band. I mean, I love, you know, London, Paris, and, you know, the, usually it's the big towns, you know, uh, that love us. It, we're not so huge that, you know, sometimes with bands, when they're really, really big and they've kind of seeped through, the smaller places give them a really great show because people are so grateful that they went there. You know, but with us, it would be like, you know, it'd be a Tuesday and we're in some youth center in Germany and it's like, no one likes you, you know, it was like, oh, fuck, you know. So for us, it was like being there on a weekend and being in New York, being in L.A., you know, being in, you know, Paris, being in London, being in, you know, the the, the big the big towns and the big city, you know, Berlin and Cologne were better for us than, you know, bumfuck Germany, wherever, you know. I mean, I've been to enough festivals in Germany, like metal festivals. Oh, my God. But the truck stops were really clean. Like, you could take a shower there. You could have a really good Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> it was so... And the I, German I was toilet ladies that actually huh? mine. Remember those German toilet ladies that actually yeah, mine yeah, the yeah. bathroom and you have to give them a tip and everything? And they're real yeah. stern. And, it yeah, was yeah. amazing. But that, that's how that's how German like <laughs> truck stops were. Yeah. Uh, they're probably better now than like the last time I was in one. Um, then... <laughs> Well, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Is this what you always wanted to do? Like be a musician or be creative? Um, I think the earliest thing that I really wanted to do maybe was be a superhero. I, started, I got very into comics, Marvel comics, when I was maybe seven or eight years old. And I really remember thinking, oh, this is what I want to do, you know. <laughs> then after a little while, it became a little more like sports. You, you know, I liked sports a lot, uh, especially like basketball and stuff. But then when I was around 12, I started smoking herb and suddenly like sports didn't mean much. And I, I was pretty sure I wasn't the comic wasn't going to come to life, you know. And at that point, I realized like, wow, you know, music, I've always kind of been obsessed with it. And and I would even when I was very young, I sort of pretend I was singing, you know, the girls in my class and whatever it was, you know, Crocodile Rock or whatever the song was, you know, yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy, whatever, whatever was on the whatever was on the radio when I was a real little kid, you know? So, so from about high school on, I knew that it had to be music and I had to do that. And I wasn't very smart about making another plan. You know, everybody in my family, you know, my, my brother's a philosophy professor and, you know, my dad speaks five languages and my, you know, just on and on, you know, it's just like kind of a bunch of smart people. And I was sort of the, the dumb one that didn't, didn't get his degree and didn't go on and didn't do it. Cause I really, felt strongly about 
wanting to just be creative and make cool shit, you know? And in a way, I kind of wish I, now that I can see the strategy of things, I sort of wish I might've played things differently, but I was a real hard head as a kid. You know, I was just always getting in trouble and I just thought this is all I can do that is not going to drive me crazy, you know? Well, it's, you could probably get into an Ivy League nowadays. I mean, they take anyone. So you'll have, <laughs> when I got into Columbia, like I had to take an SAT. So I did it twice. The second time when I took it, I had a 14... 60 40 like range. no that was one the second time i took it now you don't even need a freaking sat well, you're, but you're a lot smarter than me if you wound up at columbia i i uh <laughs> i had a year at nyu it was about the best i could do and i knew That's i was good. gonna quit i knew That's i was gonna good. quit in the middle of it and you know sure enough i i uh i finished the year and i did good i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna waste it but you know but by the time the year was over i worked it out to move to california and go with the band and you know so yeah, it just kind of always had to had to be that way, you know. So I uh, I feel better about it now than I did in the middle. In the middle period, it was like, <laughs> what an idiot I was! Why did I do this? You know. Now it's kind of like it all comes out in the wash, right? Because everybody went and had their experience and had to feel firsthand what it's like getting fired from the corporate world or getting frozen out or you know having your shit not work or whatever. You know, I just kind of got to keep making works of art that I liked and just slowly build it up. And it's just kind of sitting there, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, that was that was how how I approached it. But wow, well, good for you going to going to Columbia. You should why, why are you wasting out. your time talking to me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I actually I also speak five languages, too. I'm like on my fifth and a half now, like I'm learning another one. But wow. the. um. Yeah, Washington Square Park in the 80s was quite a scene. I used to hang out there after school. We'd listen to like a boombox with like Slayer or like Carcass or something like that. Motorhead, like that's what we do. Then I was hanging I saw out. Motorhead like, at Lemoore, 1985. Did you? Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I remember Lemoore's. It was great. And that year I saw a lot of great stuff. I saw Johnny Thunders at that tiny place, Maxwell's in Hoboken. Yes. And uh, saw some very, very interesting shows that year and, and a lot of great movies. I mean, I, I love New York. I mean, we used to buy weed off those uh, Rasta guys in the park <laughs> there and just get high all day. And sometimes we were really adventurous. You'd go, go down to Avenue C or something. There, yeah. there was this place where they would like lower a pail with an envelope and the envelope either said C or H on it. You'd put your money in it. Like, I wonder how many people just OD'd on the wrong fucking uh, envelope or whatever. Like, it, it's crazy the shit that we used to do, you know. In Alphabet City, that had some characters in Alphabet City. That's for sure. Yeah, like, it's not the same now. It's clean yes. now. It's yeah. not fun because there's no crime. <laughs> um, not that I want to go to San Francisco and experience like by the marker hotel or that area where there's a lot right. of, them, but I, I think I'm, it's, it was different then. it was a different type of crime going on then. Like it was cooler. You'd have like prostitutes and shit. You'd have peep shows, you'd have pimps in the street and they really knew how to dress well. Like that's when New York city was a lot of fun. Like yeah, they I would hang would out like that. They would hang out right on the, uh, when I lived there, they would hang out right in Madison square on the courthouse steps. It was a bunch of hookers and pimps and their fucking fancy outfits and shit. And it was, I was like, Whoa, you know, but again, like as decadent a person as I am, like I, I never wanted to like have to buy it, you know, like I wanted someone to want to fuck me. You know, I didn't want to well, yeah. go and pay, you know, no guy wants that. Speaking of which, were you in New York City around the time of Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious, like in that whole circle? No, I'm a little young. I'm a little young for that. I, I moved to 
New York in 85 and I lived there for one year. And that was after I'd lived okay. in Boston for a year and was cleaning toilets at MIT. And I was like, fuck, I guess not going to college didn't work out too great for me. So I turned around and applied and then I went. But by the time I did a year in New York, it was again, just like, fuck this. I got to play in a band. I can't, I can't get anything rolling here. But again, if I would have been smart, that was right when the Beastie Boys were going and and there, and fucking Rick Rubin was in a dorm too. Like I probably could have gone and made friends with those guys. And you just never know. Like hindsight's 2020, you know, but I just thought, oh, it's a bunch of rich kids and their fucking parents. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this, you know, and I just took off, you know, but you know, that's the thing. It's like we, often the way we perceive the world is very different than what it actually is, you know? Oh, of course. Now, what do you have musically planned for the uh, for the dwarves? Do you have any tours coming up? And what could you tell us about your new music? And you could hold albums up, do whatever you want. Well, so even yeah, if the, they're naked people. So the first cool one was that we reissued all the old dwarves. Oh, so like I got it from What's these that one? record labels. So this one is, was called Thank Heaven for Little Girls. Oh, she's cute. <laughs> Another title. It's not so popular. Anymore. I think it's fine. What's this that one? This one was called Sugar Fix. This is from 93. That one was 91. Can I see so that one again, please? No, I want to see Sugar Sorry. Fix. Sugar, Sugar Fix. Fix. So this one was the takeoff. It's like a bunch of young girls at a, at a, at a party, but we have them putting pixie sticks into a spoon like they're going to shoot it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, everybody was dropping like flies on dope back then. This one was kind of cool. It's called Come Clean. So it's got the girls oh with the, uh, you know, the bubbles and stuff, you know, and it's all. Is that a guy in the corner? Yes. This is the little dwarf guy. He was always on the on the cover. He was on Blood Guts as well. You know, oh, so funny. This, this is sort of where it all starts. Yeah. You know, he's in the corner and these girls are there. But anyway, so finally, during the pandemic, I said, you know what, I'm going to make my retro kind of lounge and rockabilly and country kind of thing. I'm going to make something totally different. So I made the Black Dahlia solo record. Oh. And then I gave him a name, right? Ralph Champagne. So it's called Introducing Ralph Champagne. Oh, how and cool. And so I'm very proud of this, you know, because it's it's a complete 180 from the dwarves. I mean, there's still kind of nasty lyrics and stuff like that, but it's it's very kind of well-produced, well-played kind of session people music. Like nobody could believe that it was me. Um, so that was cool. And then right at the tail end of the craziness of the pandemic, the dwarves got back in the studio and we recorded enough for two, two 12 inch records. So we got a record coming out around Thanksgiving called the dwarves concept album. Okay. And that was sort of, you know, cause we had so many different songs and there were so many different styles that it was kind of like the white album to me. So we called it, we called it the concept album. And then there's even going to be another 12 inch, like, you know, a year later or whatever of stuff that didn't make it to the record, but is still really good. I mean, we had like a pile of like 26, 27 jams. So, you know, it was, it's been really creative period with making books, making records. And now, now with the dwarves. So we'll just stay out on the road and try and move a bunch of records and keep shit rolling. And that's kind of the plan. Where are you playing next? We're going to be in New York on Sunday, May 29th. Um, the day before that, we're at a big metal festival in Baltimore called Hell in the Harbor. That's oh, May okay. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. I totally and then the know that 20, show. 27th, May 27th, we'll be in Philly. May 25th, we'll be at the very beginning of Punk Rock Bowling in Vegas. We're playing with the notorious, great original CBGB's band, The Dead Boys. 
Oh, cool. All right. That's yeah. fun. It'll be Dwarves, Dead Boys, and Zeke at at uh, at uh, Punk Rock Bowling Vegas. So really stoked about that. And then going to Europe again in June, doing a few festivals. We're doing that Ruhrpott Rodeo in, in uh, Germany and Mighty Sounds in Czechoslovakia. And so, you know, we're just trying to get out, play festivals, do little club shows and and knock it out. Are you are you in Los Angeles or are you in uh, um, New York? I'm in, I'm between, I go to LA, I go to New York, I go to Europe. I'm like all over the place. Right oh. now I'm in LA. Um, then that same weekend, there's an XPW show in New Jersey. That's why I was asking when your show is and where it is. Um, then I'll get back over to Europe. But, uh, you know, it's just, I do want to come out to a show for sure. Um, I do want that album signed as well with the the very first one. Yes, uh, you're invited anytime. Yeah. No. The uh, I was I was telling Schlock uh, when he hit me up from from XPW or Schlack is that, is that better Schlack Schlack yeah. Schlock is more like bad merchandise or something right <laughs> Schlack um, but you know I used to do the color commentary for wrestling out here we had a great wrestling thing called the ISW incredibly strange wrestling and we would do luchador. As far as I know, we were the first kind of bringing it back. Luchador yeah. it was my friend uh, Audra, uh, who who was the uh, the ringmaster, the impresario, and and she was also a wrestler called uh, um, uh, what was it called? What was her name? Like, I, oh god! I mean, you know, they all had crazy names like Baracho Gigante and all this kind <laughs> of stuff. Um, I, oh, I wish she's going to kill me. I can't remember her name, but. Um, Anyway, you know, Audra set up this great Mexican mass wrestling and we and you would like throw tortillas at the fighters to to uh, to egg them on. And I just love doing color commentary. So I told Schlack, I said, dude, I want to get in the XPW. I'll be your color, your color guy. Yeah. How did you even <laughs> find Schlack? Did you like how did you come into contact with XPW? He, he hit me up on, on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I think he has a dwarf's tattoo. And I said, great, represent, buddy. And he was like, yeah, man, we're doing this xpw thing i i'm not sure i i got a few sort of texts all at once from different people at, at xpw and i'm not really sure who who's what i kind of lost track of it for a minute because i i uh we had to go on the road and you know i'm a little disorganized but i'm sure i'll get back in with them but yeah i mean it, it just sounds like a lot of fun and like the fun kind of wrestling and and you know i'm in, I'm, I'm into that you know yeah schlack is the um the gg allen of wrestling i think <laughs> I hope he bathes more. Well, yeah, that, that <laughs> I had Gigi stay at my house. He did, was not a great smelling guy. <laughs> I mean, I think the scariest thing ever with Schlack, my scariest moment was when he threw me over a ring that was made of barbed wire around and he threw me right over it. But it was such a close call. Like he wasn't going to let anything happen to you, but it was so scary because it's wow. Schlack. But then I have a piece of flesh, like part of his flesh on my fishnets that I was wearing that night. <laughs> so there's one sick person in the world to buy it, but it's a, it's like a whole other, um, you know, it's a whole other world, you know, with death match. What name do you wrestle under? Jasmine. Jasmine, just Jasmine St. Clair. Yeah. yeah. I guess when you have a name like that, you that can be your 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 name. You have to, I, yeah. I had to change mine to make it goofier, you know. You know, there, the there are some strippers that have like their real names. They dance under their real names. Right, that's true. Yeah. I danced under my real name for like a whole week when I was in New York City. I was at the Kit Kat Club and like that's way back then. And 
I didn't know anything about this shit. So I'm like, okay, yeah, just use my real name. Thank <laughs> you, my real name. And uh, then about two weeks later, I'm like, you know, that's kind of really a dumb thing because there's so many girls named like Mercedes and shit and like all these exotic <laughs> luxury cars. Like I want to be an exotic luxury car too. So <laughs> then I figured out that they're fake names. <laughs> then I went under the name Dylan. And I, I wasn't confused about my about being a girl or a guy. It just seemed like a cool name, like Bob Dylan. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. female Dylans. Yeah, exactly. And with, without a dick, just right. making that clear to you. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to like, make it really clear. It's so crazy. <laughs> um, so fans actually want to learn more about you and like buy your stuff. Most importantly, guys, like pick up the stuff. Vinyl is the coolest thing ever. We got tons of vinyl and, you know, we got great shirts and skate decks and all that bullshit. Yeah, you can get it all at thedwarves.com. You know, just click the merch button and you'll and you'll be there. And there's lots of funny stuff on there. There's like a, a a slightly true, slightly fake history of the group. That's very funny to go through. And a big discography because we put out a lot of records. So there's all that shit. And then, you know, you can click and go see our videos on YouTube. There's a ton of them up there. And, you know, the the Ralph Champagne solo stuff. I made a bunch of really funny videos this year that were, um, you know, like for a song called Lolita Goodbye. And it was, a, you know, and a, we had a great one some uh, friends of mine I, I had a song called contraband that was kind of my trucking song and it got animated by these great animators in the ukraine they were working out of the ukraine while it was being bombed and everything that two sisters the mad twins very talented women who did this amazing uh videos for me so yeah there's just all kinds of neat stuff if you go to the dwarves.com you can get all of our music all our videos all my solo stuff and and all that and uh yeah just tour dates that's right oh tour dates are up there too yeah so you can see all the shows and yeah the dwarves.com that's where it all happens make me rich i'll i'll trust me i will I will all you metal guys me make me rich the bands you like are pussies get rid of them me no i i never said no, not, me, not you i'm talking to your audience oh, those yeah no they, the a lot of like them a lot of them like extreme metal a lot of the guys that listen to the show so a lot of them like the same thing we do, like the Carcass, Carcass, Morbid Angel. We're playing with some of those bands. Cannibal Corpse is going to be there. Oh, I know the Cannibal Corpse guys. Yeah. Yeah. Pig Destroyer are the guys that are, that cool. are my, yeah. my buddies. And I love them. But yeah, I like the extreme stuff. There were some great ones we were friends with, too, like from, uh, uh, well, Extreme Noise Terror from England. But also there was uh, um, a great band called Blood Duster. Yeah. Uh, kind of an obscure grind band from from australia I mean, we always got along great with the grind guys and the guy basically the metal guys that didn't act like metal guys right <laughs> the guys and that were like hiding behind their fucking crew you know right i know it's like so pansy so yeah so get off the kick of like having mullets and wearing headbands and thinking it's like 1987 and get into <laughs> some really good music you know it's part of shock culture as well the dwarves you know just what you guys yeah. were doing was different which is important shock culture plays a huge role in today's society because people think it's so cool and those kids know that they'll never be that cool and awesome to have lived through it you know to live yeah, through the, circus of the springers and the sterns and everything like that and that was the high point of american culture oh yeah wow, that man. sounds so nor that sounds like i really knew what i was talking about <laughs> yeah. i won't tell anybody i won't, I'm gonna, I won't i think i'm gonna run for office now i think i just did such a great job of that speech <laughs> i think i can i can do this but anyway Thanks for coming on. Um, My pleasure. Do stay in touch. Oh, and your books, by the way, really quick, are they on Amazon or where are your books? 
Um, the books again, the best place to get them because you get them signed on my website if you just go to thedwarfs.com. But they're put out by this really cool press in LA called Rare Bird. And I've been really happy with them. And they when I'm when I'm out there in New York, we're gonna do a little book event with my friend Eric Davidson. Now he is the singer from New Bomb Turks, and he made a great book called We Never Learn about the kind of garage, garage punk scene from the 80s and 90s. And so, yeah, we're going to go to Generation Records. I think it's Monday. The might be Monday the thirtieth or twenty. I don't. I don't have my. I don't have a calendar right in front of me. But it's like we 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 play in New York the last Sunday in May at Bowery Electric, and then the next day I'm doing this book thing with the New Bomb Turks guy at at Generation Records. So we'll be around New York a little bit. So if New York peeps want to come out, we'd we'd love to see you. That sounds like a good opportunity. And, you know, uh, books are super important. People have to read more books like physically. And we have to go back to the days of where people had a physical book. You'd have readings with the author to actually you have that connection. You know, oh, yeah. so many of these things are dying out to, ha to have this crap, you know, when you hunch over and do this, which is not fun. It doesn't smell like a book. Not that you want yeah, to smell it exactly. all but yeah. No, exactly. And people people think they're reading when they read like, you know, seven things your boyfriend does that drive you crazy. It's like, that's not reading. Dude. Yeah, seven things <laughs> that you doesn't do count. that drive me crazy. Go on your phone and do this. When you have these kids outside at the fucking table, like at a restaurant, a restaurant with all their phones, taking photos and just doing this the whole time. It's like, stay <laughs> yeah. home, go home and stay home. <laughs> Give the table to people actually appreciate each other because you're yeah. so busy posting your fucking photos. Number three, that things that drive me crazy, loud assholes that go to a restaurant. Number four, number four, hipsters. Number five, mullets that know nothing about mullet culture. <laughs> like seriously, people that wear band shorts and have no idea. And number seven, people with fucking emotional problems like get off your shit with your emotional pets if you've got an emotional animal if you have to have an emotional something then you seriously like are not born to like be on this earth like surviving it well wow. yeah everybody, I, everybody I has they go crazy i feel everybody has what torments them you know but yeah you don't necessarily have to communicate it to everyone else you know? with your dog like oh my god i got I, I i would do that if it's a cute cat and you got to have an emotional support thing just to keep your cute cat or your cute dog that's different yeah you, know? you saw like, my buddy rollo he's my, yeah he's cute he's my emotional support Where's enzo yeah enzo 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 <laughs> the cat is sleeping he's either sleeping or just rolling around but he's um he's the best looking cat in LA County. Well, it's great talking to you. I hope you I too. get in there uh, at an XPW thing and and yeah. uh, Schlack and you and the whole crew and we'll, uh, we'll have some fun. Absolutely. So, party on blog. <laughs> you got it. Cheers. Are you enjoying the ride on my crazy train? Woo! Please make sure to rate and review Crazy Train Podcast, take a screenshot, send it to me in a DM via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and I will send you a free goodie bag. Oh, and Crazy Train Podcast is now on YouTube. So subscribe, Crazy Train Podcast, that's with a K, on YouTube for video interviews and never heard before interviews and some really cool bonus content.